Live from the Mundangerous Smith Machine in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 353 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to break free of the quest for bigger numbers. But first the party lets Zan do his thing in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the ATV conquers all terrains in the Character Creation Forge. So, Ishan, it's been uh, another couple weeks since our last recording. How you doing in Baldur's Gate? I'm in Act 2. Huh? Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> you, you might finish this year. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, right? Like, you eke out maybe an hour in a given night to, well, I mean, to explore, like, one small area. And then you're like, well... If I was playing through this again, it would take two minutes because I know where to go. But I had to click everything to figure it out. Slash, I had to click things on my phone to figure it out. Oh, did you have trouble? Uh, well, I mean, again, I don't have that much time. So sometimes I'm like, look, I could explore this area for 45 minutes to find out what's important. Gather all the alchemical reagents or whatever. Or I could skim a walkthrough and just see what is what are the important things to do and then go do those things how much of your time are you spending picking up trash it depends on what you count as trash i gather all the alchemical reagents that i can i no longer pick up non-magical non-armors i'll still take armor you know uh-huh but like i leave non-magical weapons i certainly am not i no longer am picking up like you know Cutting boards. <laughs> <laughs> That's Goblets. what I mean by trash. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't even check vases anymore. Um, yeah, exactly. But but the, but the thing is, all the other stuff I do pick up ends up being trash because the game is easy enough where I don't need to be like, oh, I better use a scroll here. Oh, I, it's time to use an arrow, you know? Yep. It's just like, great. I have like 40 arrows of ice and what am I going to do with that? nothing because it's just not worth the right click (laughs) exactly yeah forget where it is right i have fireball cares it's like having a gun you're more likely to have it used against you in the event of of self-defense than you are actually (laughs) i'm more likely to accidentally click that arrow of ice on my own tank i'm trying to move closer no i shot myself (laughs) oh and now a bug has made everyone go hostile against my avatar cool reload (laughs) wasted 10 minutes um act two is much less structured than act one and obviously much less polished but uh i i really liked it and it has a really strong ending that's good i'm excited i'm you know uh kicking around last light it was nice to see this is not a spoiler isn't it was nice to see jihira you know oh yeah yeah um she died before i knew she was in the game (laughs) the first time (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> i maybe accidentally killed last light before i discovered it so i then had to like load a save and be like huh i guess there's a place i should go find because it seemed like the game wanted me to be upset about that consequence well that's the thing about i mean crpgs in particular but like Baldur's gate 3 very much i mean i guess all the previous Baldur's gates as well uh is as soon as you get pointed in a direction, oh, this is the next thing you must do. It is a quest in your journal. Go in the opposite direction. Because there will be all of these supporting quests that you either 
can do or need to do or they will be locked out once you like complete the the um the canon event right Mm -hmm. and also if you're completist like me and you're trying to do everything so you don't have to play this game again you need to walk in the opposite direction to do that see this is why canon mode should have been part of the game i agree but i digress i agree yeah yeah it could it could have just been like no you don't care about this area What's here? I don't know. Some people that you could help, but you don't care. Because honestly, if you're close to them, you're more likely to kill them. You're going to eat them. Well, in that canon, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know what order to complete the quests in and where to go to pick them up. Not in the order in your journal. And apparently the the conceit of the journal is that you write it, you know, with your own hands. So like there was... I don't know if it was a bug or whatever, but they patched it where like previously, if you were in wild shape and you got a journal entry, you couldn't make the journal entry because you didn't have hands. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I did not know that. <laughs> but apparently my my tab is a terrible note taker because none of these quests are in any kind of order that makes sense. No, they're in chaos order. The order they felt like... Uh sometimes only even vaguely associated with the location they're filed under oh oh yeah uh-huh find the night song is still sitting there <laughs> well <laughs> yeah yeah you might think you're close right no they're not they're not where they said they would be no i follow the dot lies <laughs> all right well we won't spoil that any further uh until next week where are we this week in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Emberon, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And high in the mountains, the party is trying to stop the quarry from finding the gatekeeper's seals and unleashing the chaos of Zoriath onto the material plane. Xan the Warlock has died. But a deal with Primus has given him another chance. And a vision. Be ready to run, stripling, comes a whispered voice, speaking in rustic elven. Aaron's signal is at hand. Aaron? Zan thinks to himself. The Aaron who led the elves out of slavery in Zedric? That was 40,000 years ago. He whispers back, What is her signal? Where do I go? A figure moves from behind him towards the mouth of the cave, though he hears nothing. Into the moonlight steps a woman, clad in shoddy leathers like him. Her hair is pulled taut behind her sharp ears, and she clutches a wooden stave affixed with an obsidian blade. Dolan lost, she mutters. Your head is empty. Turning briefly to look at him, her eyes narrow. Do not lose yourself in fear. Remember the plan. You follow me. You do what I say. I wield you like this glaive. She glances down at his hands. Why are you unarmed? She spits in disgust, then tosses him the weapon from her hand. You know how to use it? Zan catches the polearm, and familiarity washes over him. It looks far more primitive than his own packed weapon, but the weight, balance, and grip are all identical. Zan thinks of his patron ancestor, whose name and face he has never known, then back up at the woman. Before he can ask his burning question, a great impact shakes the ground, like Eberron itself is being torn asunder. signal the witch was right a smile splits her face with one hand she grabs zan's upper arm in a grip like a vice 
and leaps out of the cave, dragging him with her. The mouth is dozens of feet above the ground, but when they land, the ground cracks from the force of the impact, and they are unharmed. When she lets go of him, Zan feels gravity return. Now run! Without pausing for him, she takes off, her feet a blur in the tall grass as she heads toward the ocean. Without hesitation, Zan takes off after her, sprinting as fast as he can. To his surprise, he's almost as fast as her, though she's covering ground at an impossible pace. Far in the distance, the grassy hill beneath their feet slopes down to the sea, broken by piles of worn rocks. As they leap a crest, a hill giant rises before them, clad in burnished bronze armor and hefting a massive great axe. In midair, the woman conjures four crackling orbs of energy from her hand. They seem to spin lazily for a moment before she slams them home, firing them into long arcs that punch through the giant's face and torso. The smoking holes gush dark blood as it topples backward. It hits the ground before she does. Without breaking stride, she summons four more globes. Instead of spinning, they stretch and combine, the crackling edges solidifying into a dusky glade. Two more hill giants close in, and she heads for the nearest at a run. Without looking back, she points at the other. Take its knees, she calls over her shoulder. Zan is caught up in wonder. Is this an illusion? Has he somehow been transported to Zendrik? But with the order comes clarity, and he closes ranks with the giant soldier. As he swings his glaive, he feels the power of his still unknown patron behind it. It slices through tendons as thick as rope, and his single blow fells the creature, its legs taken out from under it. True to form, Zan buries the backswing in its head before turning to catch up with the mysterious woman. All along the shore, elves pour from every cave and hill, pushing makeshift boats into the water. The giants have marshaled forces to stop the refugees from escaping, but Zan can see a few others like himself tearing through the giant lines, buying time for the great exodus to the north. And we'll find out what happens next, next time. So this week, we are talking about the math treadmill, which it probably requires some disclosure. We're playing Pathfinder 2. <laughs> it has been our game for the better part of a year, I guess. Uh, not yeah, counting all the weeks so. off that we take because Cam is not a reliable GM. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe we're already level 10. Uh, I thought we were level 12, level 12 right? We're level uh, 12. Level, well, let's round 13? up to 13. For yeah. good measure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> by the time by the time the next session happens, we'll have earned it. Right. So the new Pathfinder uh, core, like remastered, uh, is out. Um, and it is not a new option in it, but, you know, we are, as a group, are reevaluating how we're using the system and the options that we're using for the system now that it is out because a lot of the classes are that people are playing are being revamped anyway. Uh, And we have just switched over to the automatic bonus progression variant, which bakes in the standard bonuses that you usually get from magic items. So, you know, attack and damage and bonuses to skills just happen at specified levels for everyone all at the same time, rather than you needing to select certain runes at certain times, you know, potency runes as opposed to property runes and blah, blah, blah. You can just forget about all that. So 
as we hit the next tier and we were supposed to get one of these bonuses and then we were all groaning because then we had to figure out another thing and know what is our modifier supposed to be and how close are we and is a plus 19 good enough or should it be a plus 21 and blah 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 right this proceeded to to start a conversation amongst our group around why we were even doing this or what we would prefer to be doing right why was this not just baked into the system from the get-go and then of course mm -hmm. right brought us to like okay and why is it not in fifth edition <laughs> right exactly <laughs> like you had six years of observation here pathfinder and then right, another and like what two years of development so you easily could have noticed that this was a problem right and just stuck it in there i mean at least it's a variant but it is buried in the gm core as like you mm -hmm. know an alternate right and so like a tiny bit of history here right like this automatic progression was something that existed as another alternate rule and kind of a patch in 4th edition D&D and was considered for 5th edition, but the feedback was that people hated the idea that they would not have plus one weapons. Mm -hmm. I, I guess, why don't we peel it back just a sec? So the, the idea here is that wherever you are in the game, at whatever level, right, you have numbers on your sheet right like you have static bonuses or you have die sizes or whatever it is and as you progress through the game the challenges that you face are commensurately large such that you know your odds of succeeding roughly hover in about the same range right and i think classically that's somewhere in the 55 to 60 percent chance of success um but whatever the number is set for your game, you tend to kind of stay at the same odds of success, even though the number gets bigger. And the game is assuming that you'll be roughly that successful at every level when it makes its encounters. Right. So if you're hitting far more often than that or far less, encounters will be far more difficult or far easier. So this is the treadmill, right? This is the math treadmill that exists in nearly every RPG that includes some form of leveling up or improving your abilities over time. The numbers always go up. You get bigger numbers, as long as you're not playing with that guy, right? You get bigger numbers. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the enemy numbers also get bigger. And the target numbers, right? Your, your DCs, right? your difficulties, also get bigger. So, mm -hmm. like you said, your chances of success in many ways don't get better. And in some sometimes, they actually get lower. This was the issue with 4th edition, where... <sighs> I don't know, nobody did the math for epic levels, I guess, but realized that players fall behind even with magic items and the game was balanced around like a 50% hit rate in tier one, but by the time you got to tier three, sometimes you were at a 33% hit rate, which mm -hmm. is bad game design and is boring and sucks to play. And I think in, in Pathfinder, it's not quite so egregious, but also like, you know, there are, there is an assumption that you are going to have a certain number of bonuses, right? From a certain number of sources, you'll have magic items that give you a plus one or a plus two on your weapon. You'll have, you know, random trinkets that uh, up the value of one of your skill proficiencies. So you become a master instead of trained or whatever, right? Um, and in fifth edition, when they talked about bounded accuracy, famously, like the quote was, well, we don't assume that you have any magic items 
<laughs> right? The math just works without magic. So magic items will just be a bonus. But that doesn't always hold true. <laughs> right. And have you ever heard of a game that didn't include magic items? I'm sure they exist, but the vast majority of games include magic items. I mean, at the, no, it, but at the end of the day, right, it's not that you don't have magic items. It's that, like, your, your system math is sound without assuming that you're going to have your plus one sword, right? So feel free to take the flaming sword because you don't need the plus one to hit. Except that I still want, right, I still want the plus one to hit, right? Right, because succeeding <laughs> is always more fun than not succeeding with a bigger potential number. Right, I would like to hit more often than 65% of the time. Right. You know, even if the game assumes that's how often I'll hit. Right. Baking it into the math of the game also does open up possibilities for other options to do with your, you know, your time, the mental load. But then also, like, you can take the flaming weapon as opposed to the plus one weapon without having to wait for it to be a plus one flaming weapon. Right. The other thing I think happens, and, you know, we'll get into specifics in a little bit, but the other thing I think that happens that isn't just uh, around game design is sometimes this can lead to an existential crisis for a gamer, right? Is, I think it's more common in games that don't have any role-playing, you know, like MMORPGs, right? Because the only reason to really keep playing is to get bigger numbers, get more loot, get better items. And then after a while, you're like, well, why do I have better items? Well, it's so I can kill more monsters, so I can get better loot, so I can kill more monsters well, and get better loot, right? It's to complete raids faster, Ishan. It's of course, <laughs> right? You, you, had, you sweet summer child, you haven't played an MMO in like fifteen years, but uh, yeah, that's that's not why MMOs get played anymore. <laughs> okay, so you complete the raid faster, and then and then what? You have you have an well, achievement? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You post the video on YouTube or something. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't see the appeal. <laughs> and and I think the very first time that I sort of had that realization, it's not it's not like a, you know, an epiphany, right? But, you know, you're sitting there being like, oh, what am I doing with this character? It was way back in high school when I was playing second edition. And I was like, ooh, yeah, pretty soon I'm going to have a ring of jumping. And then once I have the ring of jumping, I'll jump farther. And, and then catch a better sword. Right. And then I'll use that to get another ring that jumps ah wait a minute why am i even playing this game and then you know of course <laughs> that leads you down the inevitable path of oh maybe <laughs> maybe i should role play <laughs> maybe that would be a reason for this character to continue to adventure and for me to keep playing them i i, I never had a problem as a kid right like with just playing for the sake of the numbers getting bigger like i think that was fine uh, as my free time has diminished, the amount of effort to make sure that my number is correct, especially in games like Pathfinder, is just not worth the payoff, right? And that's, I think, where my problem is with with the treadmill, is that the cost in time of making sure I'm on the treadmill is not worth the payoff and what I really want them to do is just say, hey, if you're good at something, you should have a 21. However you get to 21, you've got the right number. If you're okay at something, it should be 18. However you get to 18, you've got the right number, right? And it's just like 
cool. I'll decide whether that's training or whether that's a magic item or whether that's, you know, a really good base stat. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I like the baked in bonuses because both as a GM, it means there is less distance between the most optimized PC and the least optimized PC when I'm designing encounters. And then as a player, right, it it just makes it easier for me to build a character and let's be honest, build other people's characters because that's what I'm asked to do. Uh, So for this episode, let's talk about like, how do you utilize or manipulate this fundamental fact of most RPGs in order to make your experience better? So I think the first question you need to ask is how does the game that you're playing handle the treadmill? Right? So Pathfinder 2 is like 3.5 D&D. The numbers always go up. Every level, you get a plus one to most of your checks, but the DCs also go up. So pretty soon, you know, you roll a 30 and you're like, yeah, and it fails. Which feels, it feels bad to fail in a 30, no no matter what level you are, right? I could be level 19 and be like, I got a 30. How does that not succeed? That's, yeah, you very quickly learn that all you're looking at is the number on the die. (laughs) Yes, right. (laughs) I've got to roll a 12 or higher. Exactly. You have no basis for comparison. Is 30 good or bad? Mm. Like, but I rolled a 14, so there's a pretty good chance it should succeed. Right. Yeah. I remember even just like Neverwinter Nights, which was based on 3.5, right? Running through like Hordes of the Underdark, the original campaign, um, and I'm level like, what, 27 or something in the Nine Hells, and my AC was 33, which is garbage. Just awful garbage everything hit me every demon hit me (laughs) and it's just like but i have a i have a 33 it doesn't matter it didn't matter plus 22 to hit (laughs) yeah exactly so 5e has bounded accuracy right kind of uh the let's let's politely agree that it does (laughs) okay sure (laughs) compared to pathfinder certainly yeah so the difficulties and the enemy stats rise right the the kinds of enemies that you face at any given level have higher you know numbers but they rise to a much smaller degree right like a 25 ac is really high in fifth edition no matter what like what was our joke at the beginning of 5e when it first came out is like oh my god asmodeus has a 25 ac like yeah my paladin has a my level six paladin has 22 you know (laughs) whoa he's more dangerous than asmodeus (laughs) <laughs> I rolled a 19. I'll hit Asmodeus every time. So in general, in 5th edition D&D, more powerful characters succeed more often because their abilities push them above that failure threshold, right? Like by the time you've got a plus six proficiency bonus and a plus five to your main stat and a plus two or plus three weapon, right? Like, you know, you're looking at plus 13, plus 14 to hit, not an excluding advantage or other class features or bonuses from your bard or whatever, right? Uh Uh-huh. You're going to hit that 25. Correct. You might not do any damage, but but you'll hit that 25. In Pathfinder, right, where the base, the, the flat number, right, your static modifier is larger, it reduces the value of the die roll, right? Because you have to roll a 15 or whatever, right, to get to a 45, target whereas in and and then over time right like the the value of the die is sort of uh i guess it's diminished right in the sense that like 
you know, like your static modifier ends up being the majority of what the number is, right? And so you just never fail against certain enemies, right? Whereas like in fifth edition, because of bounded accuracy, like you can be a level 20 fighter and still miss a CR one eighth goblin, right? Because like you rolled a three and a three plus 15 doesn't hit their AC, because they had a 19 AC for some reason, you know, it's like, but 19 is like a doable AC at low level. Like that's not unheard of. Right. So it's like, well, uh, which do I want more? Well, there are also instances where they still converge, right? So both games, even on top of all this, leave some stats behind, right? So without proficiency in say a given skill or you know weapon or whatever you still have a chance of success at a low level with a lucky roll right like you know that goblin has whatever 16 ac i can roll 16 anything up to a 20 i can roll even if i'm garbage at this thing because maybe i'll get lucky um but especially in pathfinder this is just not possible at higher levels right because your DC ends up being in the 30s and you don't have a plus 10 in something that you're not trained in. Right. And then both of them, the thing, this thing happens, especially you see it like very starkly with skills, right? Where you're like, okay, these are the skills that I'm good at. But the skills that I am bad at, I used to be able to maybe have a shot. And by the time you get, you know, fourth level, fifth level, you're so behind the curve because you have no bonus. And the DCs just keep going up and up that there's no point in you trying. You will fail. In Pathfinder especially, you're just rolling to see if you crit fail. Right. <laughs> Which feels bad. And that's that's a part of the treadmill that with these systems, you can't get away from. Right? These are the two sort of main models, right? The bounded accuracy model and the no bound model, but they have the same essential problem. And I would compare this to a, a system like Blades in the Dark, right? Where you never need more than a single successful die in order to succeed on a check. And all that happens is you get to roll more dice as you get more powerful. The chances of you hitting that four or five or six just gets better, always. The flip side is your your GM's agency drops dramatically the better you get in, in <laughs> like Force in the Dark games. Oh, sure, sure. But me as a player, I feel good. Oh, yeah, it's great. Feels good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you end up having to be quite vicious with the failures uh, because you don't get them very often. Oh, well, that's the point, right? Because... Uh... You're only supposed to last 12 sessions and then everybody dies. And then everybody dies. Correct. (laughs) Um, Okay. So we've complained about the treadmill. How do we take advantage of it and how do we beat the treadmill? Well, designers know about the treadmill, right? And they balance around a set percentage of success. Like I said, in fourth edition D&D, it was 50%. I think that's too low. And the math errors that bubbled up later had to be fixed as game patches. Games usually increase your PC's abilities slightly faster than the target numbers go up, right? So yes, everything is going up at the same time, but every once in a while you get an additional plus one. Every once in a while you get an additional bonus. Mm -hmm. So you're slightly ahead at the thing that you're supposed to be good at. 
So ability boost, skill bonuses, magic items, they all give you bigger numbers, but I feel like that can like so just even more heighten the treadmill feeling. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. You know, in terms of like actually dealing with the system, look at bonuses that aren't just bigger numbers. Look at your class features. Look at new options, right? So <laughs> I spend way too much time calculating jump distances and jump height. Why? I don't know. I find it interesting. I like to be like, oh, look, with a, with boots of springing and striding, my 12-strength gnome can leap over that ogre's head. And that's hilarious to me. Whatever. But, you know, just look at different options. Um, with a fly spell, <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Pathfinder has a really interesting uh, feat tree for high-level athletics checks that lets you like jump off of walls and jump off of clouds and double jump in the air and quick climb and quick crawl. And I was just like, I think I'm just going to get a fly speed. I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> Aren't you spending multiple feats when you could just spend like a feet to fly? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's exactly okay. it. So you could get on that athletics treadmill and be like, all right, at this level, a plus 19 is good and a plus 14 is garbage. Okay. But, or you could just be like, forget the athletic, athletics bonuses. I don't care. I fly. I, I mean, I think that works. And then I think the alternative there is to just set what your target number is, right? To discuss it as a group. <laughs> like, like what, what do I need to get to in order to be on pace, right? And if everybody is like, like that way, if, you, if your party is all consistently like, hey, we're, we're all at a plus 11, it's like, great. I've got a plus 11 in two things. Those are my good things. I don't need to worry about pushing those further. I'll go do something else with my choices. And then as the GM, you also know where they are. (laughs) And if the game is worth anything, at this point, they sure should tell you what the bonuses ought to be at each level so that you can adjust accordingly. No one is doing that, but that's a different thing. There's a chart. For Pathfinder, there's a chart buried in the DMG. Um, uh, isn't that chart wrong? Mm, that I don't know. Maybe. I, I mean, I every feel chart. Like there was, I feel like there was a thing where like the chart says a thing, but then also assumes that you have runes on your weapons that you, that it doesn't mention. Uh, well, remember, uh, since we're right now talking about how to beat the treadmill, look at the numbers and have better numbers. And that okay. way, even if the chart's wrong, you're fine. True. Since there's an opportunity cost to every improvement that you make, right? When you're building a character, you take this feat or this feat. You take this bonus or this bonus, right? So if you want to be good at whatever, insight, it is nice to be able to look at the expected DC, figure out the number you need, and decide if it's worth the investment for you to be good enough at it. And if not, probably back off completely. Don't even bother, right? Like, in general, in these kinds of systems, being middlingly good at something or kind of good at something is almost always useless unless you're separated from the party. Mm-hmm. Be the best at it in the party or don't do it, right? Specialize. Right. 
Uh, and another thing I like to do, we talk a lot about like rerolls. Reroll abilities are great. They they hedge your bets, right? You what well, you it is nice to have a high maximum on anything that you do, but it is better to have a high minimum to keep you out of the gutter, to keep you from dying. So if you can get a reroll that skews the math in your favor pretty hard. Another thing is just auto success. There are a lot of abilities that just say you do a thing. You don't need to roll. You don't there's no chance of failure. You just do it. You are now able to do this thing. Find those. Invest in those. Stack those on your character and now you don't need to worry about DCs. You just succeed. Right. But the the trick of that is you want to find those for uh skills that you're not already very very good at. Right? Like yes, you don't want to uh, auto succeed on things that you're already invested in getting the number high you want that to shore up your like middle or worst abilities right, right. like so i'm uh, a, a, i'm playing a monk in pathfinder and they have this ability where um you know you gain plus two to a save to a saving throw and if you succeed now you could succeed on that and so i'm like well i'm not going to put in my best one because that already has the best chance of critically succeeding i'm going to put it in my worst one <laughs> yeah exactly uh, another option entirely, just avoid the treadmill. Don't get on. Yeah, play a different system. An entirely different system. There are plenty of very good games that don't do the treadmill. Mm-hmm. And that have advancement. So it's not like a. It's not like all inv- all advancement is tied to treadmills. Um, though you know, certainly the more you advance and the more uh, numerically you you advance the more likelihood that there's a treadmill function. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can't change systems or you're feeling like you're on a treadmill, right? It's just that your perception of it, focus on non-mechanical success, right? Maybe that's story progression and hitting milestones and, I don't know, saving the townsfolk or whatever, right? Role-playing, <laughs> perhaps. Mm-hmm. Murdering all the townsfolk, right? Every single one of them. Chase all of them down. Don't let any get away. Uh, you can also focus on bigger numbers that aren't part of the treadmill. So loot, base building, uh, your renown or influence, uh, fealty or hirelings or, uh, you know, courtesans or your political power, right? The, the things that can grow bigger in the context of a story that don't necessarily get reflected as a number on your sheet. Right. Or even if they are a number, right? Like... Well, they're not a scaling number. Right, exactly, right? Like I have whatever. There's like a renowned system, but just the higher it is, the better it is, and that's great, and I don't fail because my number isn't high enough, you know? Right. And I think what is everything in that list, right? Loot, base building, renowned influence, fealty, political power. Like, What does that have in common? These are the subsystems that people tack onto their games once they're bored with the regular game. Mm-hmm. Once you're higher level and you're like, I'm tired of something. There's this ennui. There's, I don't know why we're adventuring anymore. Well, it's, you're tired of the treadmill, you know? So introduce other numbers that you can make bigger. <laughs> Start a business. Start a fantasy business. <laughs> right. It's the thing we say at first level. Oh, if you don't want to adventure with the party, you just want to stay here and craft magic items and sell things to travelers. Well, you're an NPC. Okay, yeah. but at high levels... <laughs> <laughs> that's the fun part of the game <laughs> right <laughs> you are an elf of wealth and taste <laughs> uh 
Um, as a GM, you also can present challenges that simply can't be overcome with bigger numbers, right? Moral dilemmas, um, factions or like, you know, subplots and, and political agendas, uh, zero sum choices, right? Somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. You decide who and why. Right. And that's just, it's up to you, right? There isn't an obvious best choice or worst choice. It's just who gets control of the well. Right. Yeah. You know, you're the, you have the biggest numbers in town, so you're the one who's going to decide. <laughs> right. Whatever choice you make is binding. Uh, right. And then you, your be? character, you're going to live with the consequences. Right. Uh, you can also focus on special achievements, whether those are things you make for yourself, right? Like, oh, I want to be a completist about this and I want to make sure I get every little widget, you know, that I possibly can. Um, I have had characters who have become collectors, you know, speaking of an elf of wealth and taste, right? Like, you know, hey, GM, uh, what are some of the nicest whiskeys in the setting? Give me a list. Cool. All right. Yeah. I'm going to find these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Diablo 2, I collected ears. <laughs> I mean, when I was a Magic the Gathering player, after a while, I started collecting Aspects of Wolf, which is a not very good rare. So it was like, you know, kind of collectible, but also easy enough to get. I had a friend who collected laces. I think those are actually worth money now, but he had like 400 laces. Oh. Uh, I mean, you know, people would throw them at him to get rid of them, so... <laughs> you can if you want embrace the treadmill lean hard into it <laughs> right which starts with uh just abandoning the checks that you will fail right recognize that if you are not specialized in this thing then you should not be the one doing it let other party members or let magic items or let npcs or whatever you know alternate approach you can take to Never use the thing that you're not good at. Yeah, because like we said, there's an opportunity cost to being middlingly good at something. No, mm -mm. you take that feat or that option or that ability to make you decent at something and you move it. Even if there's diminishing returns, you move it into the thing that you're already very good at and you become extra special good at it. Take luck out of the equation. <laughs> right. But then when you're good at intimidate and terrible at diplomacy, and you are stuck rolling for the social role, well, that's a character choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you, you are going to roll intimidate because yeah. that's who and what you are. A I'm not, scary monster. <laughs> right, I'm not sad about rolling intimidate. No, my character I, intimidates. Why do I have low diplomacy? Because that's who my character is. It's not because I made a build choice. Right, right. Own it. Just own it. Uh, yeah, we're in front of the king. And you've... Oh, you've heard he doesn't take kindly to intimidate? Well, good thing my bonus is very good. <laughs> it's an impossible task? Great. I'm also very good at hitting things. Exactly. <laughs> you say it's impossible, but are we talking 42 impossible or are we talking 55 impossible? Because I can make a 42. Get your numbers as big as you can, as fast as you can, right? And this is where specialization is really going to help you. 
Um, and look, this is not necessarily all about min-maxing. Like this is providing a service to the party and saying, I have staked my claim. Here's the thing that I am the best at. I will always succeed on this for us. You can rely on me. If you need me to kill something, point at it, it will die. If you need me to read somebody's mind, point at them, I will do it. It also means that you don't need to do that. You are free of that burden. Go spend your point somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Unless I'm out for out that week. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, you know, if if two people see their character being good at the same thing and now it's like, oh, well, this is an ideal. It's a, it's a real shame that plus 12 is always rolling and plus 10 is always helping. Right. <laughs> um, and then, you know, if as you're doing this, leverage every bonus that's available to you. Even if, like, and, and let the sources of those bonuses inform something about your character, right? Mm -hmm. If you're just sticking with it, like, where did you get the uh, the demon mask, right? I, which, of course, you wear because you want a plus one to intimidate. But those aren't common. So where did that demon mask come from? And how did you get it? And why do you continue to wear it despite the <laughs> discomfort it causes amongst your social uh, acquaintances? Oh, are you feeling uncomfortable? Sort of like a, you know... 5% more intimidated by me? Is that, is that it? Is that what's happening? That's why I wear it. <laughs> At our level, you think it's a 5% impact? Please. <laughs> uh, like People often play rogues, for example, as like, you know, the loner who steals from the party. Right? But in modern games with rogues, you want an ally to flank with you, to be adjacent to an enemy so you can get your sneak attack, someone to hide behind, right? Like, it makes so much more sense from a character perspective for a rogue to be so happy to be part of a party, to be adventuring with other people, because it makes them 10 times more effective. You can still be annoyed that they're wearing loud, clanky armor, you know? That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> but that just means that they will be the target and you will not be. Right. Well, I think we've said about everything there is for us to say uh about the math treadmill a uh, a topic that was born out of our own disgruntled experience building characters <laughs> or i guess not yours more more mine and the rest of the groups yeah i'm pretty gruntled about it <laughs> about pathfinder you 2 yeah, well, you're in the position where you get to build everyone else's character for them because we've outsourced it to you, which is just makes, you know, gives you your happy place. Yeah, that's that's true. Have you considered changing your personality? Because that would justify this plus one, huh? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a character choice that you make, okay? Right. Every day you wake up and decide who you're going to be. Right, and every day I choose Texan Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you want the plus one shoot <laughs> and the, the, the plus one banter. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've got, I need a plus two. I've got two guns. <laughs> That's fair. 
you should really have one big gun. If you could combine your two guns into one big gun, that would be better. No, that's a totally different subclass. Get out of here. For the math. Uh, no, I make two attacks. Uh, my my base bonus. As long as they're mm. on the same target, I shoot with both guns. That's the whole mm. thing. That's a whole gunslinger thing. It is your personality, so I approve. Mm. Yeah. Double tap. <laughs> First one killed him. Yeah, yeah, I know. This one's just for luck. Yeah, this one's for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, look, I, I think this is a problem... Uh, it's like as old as RPGs or at least as, as old as I've been playing them. And there's not a great solution. I just implore, like, I wish game designers were just more transparent about these design goals and these kind of like checkpoints or breakpoints, if you will. Um, and that's really where my frustration comes in is it's like, it's so hard to know in a vacuum whether you're making good choices unless you read so much of the system. And I just don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> like, like I just want to have good options that like when I read the title, the, the mechanics support what it sounds like. And also I can't make too bad of a choice by accident. Yes, you know, please is that so much bake, to ask? In, <laughs> bake in baseline competency and then more, more than that, right? Because as the baseline rises, keep everyone at that competency level or higher, please. Yeah. Also, like, it's funny to me because Pathfinder has gotten rid of the, like, you know, the 3 to 18 ability scores, mm -hmm. right? You just, your ability scores are now just a bonus. So, like, they're almost there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like this is a bridge too far. We I have mean, to know whether whether this bonus is comprised of base stat, whether this is comprised of proficiency, or this is training. If we don't know those things, well, who are we? There are a lot of sacred cows. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? That's uh, the second tap. You always got you just got to wait for it. It's always there. Then it's time to move on to the character creation forge and see where that bullet landed. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the ATV. Ishan, I know what an ATV is. It's an all-terrain vehicle. Mm-hmm. What does that mm -hmm. mean in the Character Creation Forge? This is a character that can go anywhere and do it quickly. Oh, okay. All right. So this was sort of born out of when, when I was looking at the Harriet Tubman build, she was Ranger Scout, but she was focused on the aspect of Ranger where you become an expert in a particular terrain, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this sort of goes in the other direction. It is the Ranger using um, most of the uh, alternate class features, that make you uh, 
I guess I would say an expert in mobility, but let's let's take a look at it. So the build is Swarm Keeper Ranger 10, Scout Rogue 9. I don't know, throw in a one anywhere. Celestial Warlock 1, eh, eh, whatever. You start as Wood Elf or Tabaxi, whatever you want. Um, Tabaxi is mechanically better. Move speed. <laughs> exactly, and then they Tabaxi have 40 feet. If you don't mm-hmm. want to be a furry, Wood Elf it is. Okay. From Ranger, you get Canny, which uh, gives you expertise at level one. Pick whatever you like. And then at level two, you get a fighting style. You're going to take the alternate feature Druidic Warrior, which lets you pick two Druid cantrips. And the ones you want are Mold Earth and Shape Water. Because one of the abilities of Mold Earth is to make difficult terrain not difficult. And one of the abilities of Shape Water is to turn water into ice. So if you're a character who wants to be able to go anywhere, anytime, uh, and you want to get difficult terrain out of your way, you just make it disappear. If you want to walk on this water, but you can't right now, great. You make an ice bridge or an ice flow and just sail. You'll pick up Swarm Keeper. If you remember, you can do extra damage when you hit a creature, but you can also move them or move yourself in any direction horizontally five feet and you know what if you're going to be hitting people anyway that's like an extra free five feet of movement <laughs> okay <laughs> if you need it and also the swarm moves you right so you ignore difficult terrain uh you ignore a lot of things where the swarm can just move you right like i want to drop off this ledge great the swarm moves me off the ledge and i'm out of here at level 4, you take the mobile feat, which gives you plus 10 to your movement speeds. And you will see soon we will have a lot of movement speeds. Uh, also, you know, if you get into the situation when you use the dash action, difficult terrain doesn't cost you extra movement. So if you really need to, um, you can book it across difficult terrain. And later we'll see that we do end up using the dash action pretty often. Uh, level six, you get roving, the alternate class feature that gives you a plus five walking speed and then gives you a climb and swim speed equal to that walking speed, which means now if you're a tabaxi, uh, you've got a 55 foot walking climb and swim speed, which is, okay. I think, just shy of like a the killer whale. <laughs> just, just shy of the fly spell. Just, just almost there um but but yeah you can you can basically keep up with most any fish in the water okay. <laughs> uh and you're much you climb much faster than spiders mm-hmm. uh and then at level seven the swarm gives you a 10 foot fly speed which of course becomes a 20 foot fly speed with the mobile feet okay <laughs> uh, which you can use mm, pretty much any time that you need to uh, and then from Rogue, we get Cunning Action. And of course, what does that mean? It means that every turn we can dash, which turns that 55-foot uh, speed into 110 feet, which means you are outrunning, outpacing everything. Everything in the Monster Manual. Nothing is faster than you. Fl- you uh, are moving faster than water elementals in water. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. You have my attention. <laughs> you get expertise in nature and survival just in case, you know, you've got hazardous terrain you've got to deal with. And uh, at third level for Rogue, if an enemy ends adjacent to you, you get to move half your speed as a reaction, half your massive speed. Uh, what this means is, well, along with Swarmkeeper, you actually move faster across a crowded battlefield than you do across an empty field. 
I don't know that that quite fits in with an ATV, but I kind of <laughs> like the idea of you just like bouncing through, like you're, you're kind of like bouncing from melee to melee and like dipping, diving, ducking, uh, parkouring and, and, off an enemy. Yeah, exactly. You're sort of doing that like uh, like choreographed dance uh, through through the whirlwind of melee. I like that. Right. Thanks for the boost. Uh, and then uh, Scout Rogue at level nine gives you a plus 10 to your walk, climb, and swim speed. So now you're looking at 65 feet. And look, 65 feet is not a particularly fast walk speed given things that we have come up with here in the Forge. It's It's very serviceable. It's great but it's really nothing to write home about. But a 65-foot swim speed with cunning action, a 65-foot climb speed with cunning action is ridiculous. That's, I don't know, one and a half rounds to climb the Washington Monument? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, when you put it that way. I can go anywhere. Uh, and then if you keep going in Ranger at level 10, you get uh, tireless. So on a short rest, you reduce your uh, fatigue by your exhaustion by one level, which means that you can just stay on a forced march. Just right. all the time. Just stay on a forced march. Yeah. I mean, you'll uh, quickly be marching alone, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, eventually we end up... You, you get there on Tuesday. <laughs> everyone else. else will get there on Thursday. It's fine. Well, that's the thing about the ATV is uh, you. what you want is to get some sort of like sled... <laughs> that you uh-huh. carry and just everyone gets on it and you just book it no 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 i mean i think that is very thematic right like yeah it's the faster way to get over rough terrain mm-hmm. i like it mm-hmm. uh, so yeah eventually you're looking at a walk climb and swim speed of 130 feet per round with your cunning action uh or a 40 foot fly speed when you need it there's a good tarzan build too now that i think about it yeah well, swinging is kind of an underrepresented movement type. Totally. Brachiation. You know? <laughs> What's your brachiation yeah. speed? <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to make an athletics check. It's just a liability. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you're just rolling for the one. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's just how you turn Tarzan into George of the Jungle. <laughs> 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 like, like Tarzan, Pathfinder character, George of the Jungle, <laughs> D&D character because of the ones all right before we wrap up let's take a moment and thank our patreon supporters your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show so if you'd like to learn more you can check out all of our awards at patreon.com slash total party thrill you could also leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts it's the best way to support the show and help other people find us if you do we'll read it on the air So what do you have planned for next week's episode? We are continuing our series and delving into the 5th edition D&D clerics with a new tier list. And in the character creation forge, we're building the Temple Raider of Oladamara. Well, that's it for episode 353 of Total Party Thrill. I hope it lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 